I mean, there are things you do to participate and count yourself in. You raise your hand, you say, I'm in, and you take the blood of the lamb, and you put it on the doorpost for your house. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and with me today we have Tracy. Good morning. And we've got Eric. Hey. And Karen will not be with us today. She was up all night uh, with a friend who had um, a situation. We don't know what was going on, but uh, Karen will be resting today. So we will carry on without her. It'll just be three dudes with no female influence at all. Uh, will that be better? Will that be worse? We'll find out. How was your week, guys? Anything good? Anything bad? <laughs> What's going on in the world? Since we're all we're all still kind of sequestered and can't really see anybody, but um, life goes on. So how was the week? Oh, man. Uh, surreal. I guess I'll just say that still. Just trying to <laughs> figure out where, uh, where space and time intersects with my actual life. <laughs> Ab- abiding. <laughs> what about you, Tracy? You know, it was the healthcare community is trying to get back to some kind of normalcy at this point. So we've, we've opened up the clinics. I, I broke free from the COVID clinic this week. So I was just back in the office, but it's it was super busy. There's still a lot of hesitation. And I think uh, we're just kind of entering into a brave new world, I think. I, I don't think it'll go back to being the same as it was before. Yeah, it's... It but is weird. It is. I think we're going to see some definite changes. Yeah. Well, the, the project I was on this week is an old, uh, here in town, we've got a Bonnell uh, Center on the east side of town. And there's an older, uh, well, it's, not, it's not that old, it's about 20 years old. It's an old assisted living uh, building that's been sitting empty for some reason for four years. And we've been going through and just kind of refurbishing a lot of the stuff to get it ready for recovering covid patients is my understanding and they'll come in and i might get what i understand they'll come in and and be quarantined there for two weeks or or whatever the whatever the standard is and uh just an interesting it's such an interesting time it's like everything revolves around this thing so it is. I, I uh spoke to kajana this week and he uh he was transferring duty stations and they he literally got to his new duty station and they um Took him and quarantined him for two weeks. He can't, couldn't go out of the barracks. Mm. Um, every time he leaves, he has guards that walk him to the um, cafeteria. They grab their food and they walk him back. So he's been doing that for wow. two weeks tomorrow. Oh, man. Wow. They had a positive case in one of their schools, so they shut down the entire entire class, quarantined them all. They put their school on hold until uh they all get well wow I don't know, that stinks but maybe two weeks of time out is better than shutting the whole thing down for a semester or a year yeah yeah weirdness well it is strange it's strange times but it, you know it kind of gives us a little a little insight uh, while it's not nearly the same as what was going on in egypt at the time but having that little concept of how everything seems to revolve around a let's call it a plague you know i mean and and how everybody's lives have changed and you know in in egypt at the time it had to have been like 
something like that where absolutely everything revolved around what was happening going around and you know there had to have been distrust in leadership actually we know oh, there yeah. was because we know there was because there were times when it told us that that, that uh, pharaoh's ser- servants were were like you know what just do whatever you got to do to make this stop and, and he really wasn't so as we recall last week we were talking about the plagues that hit egypt and how each one of those plagues coincided with one of the Egyptian gods. And it's kind of like our God, Jehovah Yahweh, was uh, systematically kind of dismantling everything about that religious political system that was going on in Egypt. And when we get into Exodus 11 this week, we come across, we come upon this final plague. And this plague seems to be directed like straight at Pharaoh as one of the gods of Egypt because Pharaoh was viewed as the the highest of the gods, I guess you could say. He was considered to be the, the all in all of the gods and uh, he was worshipped by the people. And it pro- that probably speaks some to why he had been so reluctant to just give in to letting the Israelites go, I can imagine that would be a difficult thing to do anyway, even just from a political standpoint, when you have this huge labor force that everybody's used to having. And for him to have just said, yes, okay, you guys can go, that would have been a major disruption in Egyptian society. I can see some similarities probably to things we have here in the United States today. You know, we have all kinds of questions about what kind of labor force should be let into the United States and how much of a disruption would that be if they weren't here? You know, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of connotations that can come with that. But at any rate, we have this, this plague that is, seems to be directed directly at Pharaoh. And I'm going to say right now that it seems like a bit of Exodus and 12 is maybe told a little out of order, but I'm just going to go, I think we'll just go through it the way it was written here because we've got, we have Moses still, it seems to be, still in the court of Pharaoh directly after talking to him uh, after the plague of darkness. And it doesn't seem like he's left yet because he and Pharaoh have been talking about, or Pharaoh's like, You'll, you know, you're never going to see me again. Don't ever come back here again. And, and Moses was, okay, fine. Uh, but um, uh, 11 goes immediately into God then saying something, and it's kind of a, an ominous announcement where he starts talking to Moses, and I'm a, I'm a, assuming Moses was the only one who could hear it. But he says, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. That just seemed like a pretty powerful thing to me. It's like, okay, this is it, guys. This is this is where it's going to happen. This is the final thing. And everything you've been waiting for is going to be here and now. You know, in looking at this and thinking back, though, I don't think there was much left to do. No, you know, you, you had touched, you had touched his, his country. You touched his commerce. You've touched the people. You know, you, the body, the plagues, the boils. You've touched his body. Now, I think it's, you know, there's not much left to do. Hmm. Right, and it's yeah. interesting, and it reminds me of, uh, I, I just can't get away from the comparisons to Revelation, mm-hmm. in that the, the the wicked just would 
would not slash will not turn from their ways. They're not going to do it. Doesn't mm-hmm. How much gets piled on until God says, okay, enough. We're, we're done here. And in this case, the we're done here is um, chapter 11, the plague threatened, and we roll into 12. It's interesting, in, in 11.3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This has to do with them taking their, basically, their back pay. And the Egyptians were like, yeah, take our money, just get get going. Moreover, yeah. the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And that's really important, because this plague has an out. Yeah. This plague has a definite, if you do this, the plague will not hit you. And so it's not as if Moses were sequestered over in Goshen and he told the children of Israel, like, oh, you're the only ones who can be saved here. Right? Mm-hmm. Israelites right. seem to have forgotten that. I'm doing some parallel reading in Acts. And the Jews, just ever since then, and I think, you know, the modern day equivalent us, they're constantly surprised that, wow, God's going to save those people too? He has a way that if people follow God's instructions, they can be saved. Mm-hmm. And we see this, and this is, I mean, the symbolism as we get into 12, which it, we should just jump right in there, sure. is pretty, I mean, this is this is a savior. I mean, we have, we have tons of savior imagery, and this isn't just us making it up. You can fast forward to the New Testament, and they start quoting this stuff. They're like, oh, wow, not a bone will be broken. Oh, a lamb without blemish. Oh, the Passover lamb. I mean, Jesus even uses this imagery of himself. Right. And so well, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. I mean, they even, they even, this, I don't, I mean, I knew this because I've read it before, but the Jewish calendar starts with the month of Passover. Right. I mean, that's like with their, that's like their zero. It's like it all starts, it all clocks back to this moment, not to Abraham's covenant. Not to Isaac's sacrifice, not to Adam and Eve leaving the garden, not to the flood. Mm-hmm. Their whole calendar clocks back to this moment, which is, I mean, how much more significant can you get than that? Yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot of uh, Jewish identity wrapped up in the Passover. And and when, yeah, when they when they got out of this because that well everything had been leading forward to this too because we had been talking about that whole 430 years since the time of abraham and and they had been looking forward to this and so it kind of you know it kind of makes sense that they would go to here you know and i look at it too that you know you're right absolutely that everything kind of comes down to this point right here and and their their freedom and their liberation from egypt from egypt um altogether but you know what i can't fathom is that we look so much on this liberation point, but we miss the lessons that came after it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, they it's, weren't done. Yeah, yeah. no, it, this definitely, the lesson was not complete. There was still much more teaching that needed to be done. And I think sometimes that's just, those lessons are lost. The value of what was taught there is lost. Yeah, um, yeah to your point, I think they didn't even know how much they didn't know. Right. We right. get into the desert and God starts telling them things and they're like, what? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you think for granted today. Yeah, you think you think about it though. They came in as a large family of that group that had come out had come up to Egypt, you know, under uh, with Jacob, and now they're leaving as thousands of people as a, nation. as a nation. But they really hadn't been established as a nation yet because as soon as they got to Egypt as a large family, now they're under Egyptian rule, you know. And so as they get come out of there, they're a huge group of people that don't know how to how to run a society yeah. you know right. so there, there is there's so much that has to be learned after that well no, let's I get wonder, into i want to even look at as, as like a decline because when you see them get there in their first you know the first caravan with with joseph's family they were they were treated as royalty they were given great land mm-hmm. whole deal and you could see it decline over time to them being actual slaves Yes. You right. know, you know, and I think, too, that sometimes it, it stands to reason and it kind of gives an example of when you're in a culture or society that is flourishing, you know, when times are good, sometimes you tend to put God on the back burner. Yep. He doesn't become the primary focus anymore. And then society starts to degrade. Yep. And it's interesting you mentioned about the years. There have been a number of chronology things we've discussed. It's like, well, maybe they're. Maybe they weren't there for 400 years in Egypt. Maybe this started back with Abraham and so on. But I keep coming across these things. And in chapter uh, 12, verse 40, it says 430 years in Egypt. I mean, there's this 400-year thing comes up several times. And really, I didn't do the math because I don't know how long their generations were. But when they went from 70 men to somewhere, I can't. oh, in verse 37... 600,000 men, then it's like, well, okay, somehow they got 70 men to 600,000 men. And that that doesn't happen in, you know, 50 years. It doesn't happen in 100 years. Even if they're prolific, that takes a while. You know, I wanted to say somewhere, too, that isn't, weren't there like over a million of them wandering in the desert? Yeah, because this this is 600,000 just men. Yeah, just men. Plus children, plus the mixed multitude of um, people who joined them. So right. yeah, it's got to be over yeah. a million. Yeah. That's a lot of people moving around in a desert. That's yeah. mind-boggling, actually. Yeah. That's... Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're not there yet. They haven't been let go. That's so... right. Go back to Egypt. <laughs> so let's go. Let's let's go back here and start with Exodus twelve and where. Um, Moses and Aaron are given some some instructions on something that's supposed to happen. And it would seem to me that they were being told this before this exchange with Pharaoh because it seems that there was some time involved yes. before the whole what we know of as what we think of as Passover. I think, you know, we think of the blood over the lintel and the angel of death coming. But there was a lot of things that had to happen first. Right. They were supposed they to. On the, days. They had 14 yeah. days. As I read it, there was the warning made first, uh-huh. but they had 14 days to get it to get it right. It wasn't yeah. kind of like, a, hey, you know, you don't have any chance to prepare for this. Yeah, they had 14 days from when the warning was given to when the Passover itself happened. Yeah, and they were given very very specific instructions. Yeah. So on the 10th day of the month, they call Abib. They were supposed to get a, an unblemished lamb. Now, that holds 
huge spiritual significance for us today. The very simple thought, you know, of Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our sacrifice. He is uh, the innocent one who takes on the consequence of our sin. And that's what's happening here is they are supposed to take this lamb and they're supposed to hold on to this lamb for, well, it says on the 14th day then. So four days after they've had this lamb. So that that's an interesting thought that, you know, you're going to bring this lamb, I don't know, into your home, or at least you're going to have it somewhere where you're specifically going to be caring for this lamb for four days. And then you're going to kill it. It's not like you just go out into the corral or out into the field and grab one and kill it. You've got to have it with you for a few days. Now, I know if I was bringing a little lamb into my household with my wife and children and having it around for four days, killing that lamb is going to be a very significant thing to happen. Yeah. You know I what think I mean? you develop a bond, number one, like you're saying, that you know the, the kids are going to flock to it. You know The whole family is going to become attached to it. But then, too, I think you're going to also feel the loss when you have to 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 kill it, basically. And mm-hmm. I think, too, that still speaks volumes of what we're still seeing in the future and those those specific um, kind of foreshadowings that we see of of Christ himself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So just the, the yeah, just the spiritual significance there is huge. And I doubt that people quite understood it yet. Oh, there's no. no way. There's no way they understood it. I, I would question if they really understood it, even up until Jesus' time. But, you know, we're, we're looking back with hindsight and we'll go, yeah. wow, you know. But I yeah. think we look, we look too and we find that our God is a God of order. Yep. You know, you want things done in a specific way. It's just not like you were saying, just go out to the, the pasture and grab a lamb and sacrifice and then we're good to go. No, I, there's specific things and there's an order to everything he does. Yeah. So when they killed this lamb, then they were supposed to collect the blood. Apparently, they would have a basin there, and they would collect the blood. I would only assume that that they would kill the lamb by slitting its throat. That's a pretty. Yes. It sounds kind of awful to us, but it's a it's a pretty quick and humane way yeah. to, to to get the job done. You know, it's yeah, it's, and it's interesting that, that that actually goes with. I mean, there's there's this. There's this concept that a lot of uh, us have about the Bible that that the uh, that the laws and rules and so on that get that get handed out later here in Exodus that we'll see those in the next few weeks didn't exist before they were given, mm-hmm. and I contend that all of these things existed before they were formalized. And here you have: do not have the blood, mm-hmm. don't do not take part of the blood. You drain the blood. We saw back in in Genesis that we're to be um, that everything, both man and beast, is liable for the blood of another. And here we're draining the blood, and this basically it's kosher. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it isn't like you said, Tracy. It isn't like oh, change my mind. Oh, let's make this thing up out of nowhere. It's just like this has always been the same thing. This is this is a continuation of what has been going on. So let's talk about the symbol of putting this. On the doorposts here. Yeah, so they were supposed to take some hyssop and basically paint their doorpost up both sides and across the top. They say across the doorpost and across the lintel. So it's just up, over, and, and, and on both sides. And it said hyssop. And I 
I was curious why specifically hyssop, and part of the reason might just have been the shape of it. It was good to use kind of like a paintbrush. But if you look at where hyssop is used in other places in Scripture, you've got uh, – it, well, it, it turns out that the hyssop had some cleansing and medicinal properties to, her, to it. David in Psalm 51, 7, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be whiter than snow. And then when you get to John 19, 29, hyssop is what they used to reach the sponge up to Jesus to offer him the vinegar. Um, so I, I'm, it feels like maybe there's some symbolism in that too. I'd have to wrap my brain around that a bit more, but it almost seems like maybe there was a particular reason why God said use hyssop more than just because it's just kind of handy. You know, but yeah, the blood. Before we leave this, before we leave, there's a couple things that's worth noting. One is that this was open to the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. If they did this stuff as it was put together, and they joined the Israelites in their homes, then they would be exempted from this also. So yeah. here's a way, and and I want to say that putting blood on your doorpost is fairly it's an outward sign you can't hide this thing yeah it's 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 stating quite plainly i'm in or i'm out sure yeah and mm. it is it is an external sign that you you can't you can't be like well in my heart i believe but i'm not going to i don't want to go against society and culture and and actually like put it out there I'll just be a closet believer and say, no, this was, this was either you put it out there and everybody knows you're all in or you mm -hmm. don't. Right. And I find that really fascinating because this mark that shows up in seven has some really, really significant ripples in the future. One is Ezekiel nine. It's a super fascinating chapter. When you're talking about the mark of God, read Ezekiel nine and it's, it's a straight up parallel because mm -hmm. it's people in in that environment who who are who are upset at the um, at false worship is basically what it boils down to. Is they're upset about the um, about the compromise that there that that's been happening regarding worship, and it, it breaks their heart. And God says, "Okay, we're going to send an angel out." And we're going to put a mark on God's people. Mm -hmm. And then another, a destroying angel. We see this happen again. We see this three clear. In my mind, I see this three times. We see it in, we see it in, in, the, in the Passover here in Exodus. Mm -hmm. We see it in Ezekiel 9 and we see it in Revelation. Is that the destroying angel in Ezekiel 9 comes through and anyone who does not have God's mark dies. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's a pretty heavy-duty chapter, Ezekiel 9. Then we see, we see in Revelation 14, now there are two marks. In Revelation 14, there's God's mark, which is in verse 1. Mm -hmm. And then we see the beast's mark, which is in verse 9. And it, it never goes well if you are not counted as gods. If you are not right. doing the things, as you said, Tracy, God says, look, I'm expecting you to participate in this. It's a supernatural deliverance, to be sure. But you participate in it. I mean, there are things you do to participate and count yourself in. You raise your hand, you, you say, I'm in, and you take the blood of the lamb, and you put it on the doorpost for your house, and you're in. It's a, um, it's a, it's a big deal, and it is the 
again, we've talked about this last time, that judgment and deliverance are one and the same. It's judgment yeah. if you're not in, and it's deliverance if you are. They happen right. at the same moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not lost on me either how gruesome of a sign this would have been. I mean, the idea of painting blood on your own home outside. Yeah. I mean, you think now these days you get Halloween decorations. And, you know, I used to love Halloween as a kid. And as I've gotten older, I don't know if Halloween has gotten more gruesome or if I've just gotten more sensitive to it. But, you know, you come across some some houses in October that are decorated with I mean, I say decorated with quotate, big quotation marks around it, but they're just, it just looks like a bloodbath. It looks like a, it looks like a crime scene, you know, and it's not, it's not an attractive thing. It's not, it's, it's really gruesome. And I can only just kind of think that this would be the similar where you've got blood all over your house, across your doorway and everybody knows it's blood. I mean, yeah. that is not, that is not a peaceful symbol no. No. at all. You know, no, but it, at the same it, time, it strikes me. It's like they're out of there. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're not coming back. Yeah. Make it as gross as they want. It's like, we're done here. This is mm -hmm. this is it, man. We are. Now, I don't know that they really actually, I don't know that they really believed it with all their hearts. That well, they didn't know what to believe. Well, I mean, they followed it. They followed the instructions. Yeah. They, they did it. And it's. I think it's interesting as we read forward on, you know, it's seven, you eat your unleavened bread. And mm -hmm. bitter herbs, the bitter herbs were, were later mentioned as symbolic. They're your slavery. The unleavened bread was supposed to indicate, look, you don't have time. Like a friend of mine sent me a recipe for pizza dough. And it was like two pages of, well, you mix it and then you let it rise. And then you mix it and you let it rise. And you mix it and you let it rise. And you're just like, oh, no, I don't have patience for that. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way you make good recipe. But the point here was you don't have time for that. Like you need to mix this stuff up and cook it and you're going to eat it and you're going to get out of here. Because mm -hmm. later it mentioned that they put their leavening bowls on, they carried it because it, it hadn't like, they weren't right. really ready for it. You see a few other symbols here like that, not symbols, but signs that they weren't really ready to go. And in, in, um, later, uh, what is it in 10, you know, in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you'll eat it in haste. And remember, they're doing this at midnight. Yep. They're like supposed yeah. to eat a big meal at midnight. You're not going to sleep well after that. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're up for something. They're probably like, well, okay, I guess we get ready. And they're doing this. And then in 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, and man and beast, and all and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. So that's just explicitly, Matt, to your point of that, that God's taken down the gods of Egypt one at a time. He calls it out right there specifically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, and I'm sure at midnight when this when this actually happened, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, maybe we'll eat this and then go to bed. Oh, that was all out the window, man, because they heard all the screams and all. They're like, oh, okay, this happened. This is getting real. So now we talked about 14 days here. Now, 15 may. Okay, maybe. Okay. I think I was misreading this when I was taking my notes on this because it seemed to me almost that they would go to the. No, no, no. You go to 18. It does say they go to the 21st day. 
they go to the 21st day of not eating any leavened bread. And so I'm not, I don't know. I think I don't that was on to, the road. Okay. I didn't want to get hung up on that, but I just wanted to try to clarify what was going on there because. Yeah, I'm not positive, but I think that this, like many Jewish holidays, there's like, it's bookended. There's the mm-hmm. beginning of it and there's the end of it. And we, when we do a celebration, it's like the 4th of July. That's one day. Yeah. But the way they celebrated things, a lot of their feasts had a had a high day at the beginning and one at the end. Sure. Okay. Now the whole the whole idea of the yeast and the the leaven is another word for it. Uh, well, we yeah. call it unleavened bread, meaning there's no yeah. yeast in it. And it it uh, made me think of Jesus talking about the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Don't get yes. caught up in the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Yes. And it seems that there's probably some significance in this here too that they wouldn't have gotten. Because the the leaven of the Sadducees and the Pharisees seems to have been false doctrines or or, or an overabundance of legalism, perhaps, where maybe there's some lesson in that here as well. Don't get caught up in what uh, what's going on around you and everything. Which would have been hard. Like I said, you were mm-hmm. in a society that was on top of the world. And for them not to get caught up in it, it was going to be hard. And I think this... What stands the point here is that they had to make a choice, mm-hmm. and this was a choice that was going to separate them. Yes. Either you did this and follow all the instructions yes. and were no longer part of the Egyptian society, and you were ready to go. You, you'd made your choice, and I think that when that still kind of takes us back even into Revelations where that final, final call of, you know, who's just, let him be just still. And who's, you know, wicked, let him be wicked still. And I think that's exactly where you have to cross that line. And, you know, um, if God is a true God, follow him. But you need to make up your minds right now. Yep. Yeah. So um, that, well, that's not the end of the chapter. But ch- verses yeah. 29 and 30, they really struck me as, or were you going to say something, Eric? Oh, go, go ahead. And we'll go back for a second. But. Okay. Well, just the, the, just those two verses, they really struck me as being kind of a, awesome and sad statement where it says this is uh, chapter 12 verses 29 and 30 and I'm just going to read it here just because I think it, it just when it it just kind of sits in your throat when you read it mm-hmm. and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock so Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. That's just such a, I mean, man, that, that is powerful. It's sort of awe-inspiring, but it's, it's also, it's sorrowful. Mm-hmm. But what were you going to say, Eric? Well, relating to that, in, in the sense that the, the keeping of time, it mentions midnight, but in 12... Um, 18, in the first month from the 14th day of the month, in the evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. So they're keeping time here, evening to evening. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting thing that that is how the Jewish people counted their days. Mm-hmm. You know, So the evening of, of um, let's say, uh, Sunday becomes Monday, actually. Right. So if they're gathered, if somebody's gathered together on a Sunday night, to them, that's actually Monday. This actually starts here. And so we mentioned midnight in the part that you read, and that's when it happened, but that's not how they counted the days. So that midnight was well into 
quote, the next day for them. Day. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that becomes well, important as we play forward, how they calculate time. Yeah, well, that, that calculation of time actually goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Which oh, talks yeah. About, there was uh, evening and morning the first day. Yeah, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening, the evening first and the morning were the first day. Yep. So, and it makes sense because at the end of the day is the end of the day instead of some odd arbitrary time when everybody is probably asleep and saying that that's when we change the calendar over. You know, it's, it sort of makes more sense here that, hey, when the sun goes down, the day is done. And and we're going to start over counting our time now. So, yeah, that is interesting. That And we can see here that it has carried through. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good. Okay, so there's here's some some math we talked about. We talked maybe before we were recording. We talked about how many, or did we talk about the six hundred thousand men? We mentioned it, mm -hmm. but go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say, just I mean, if we were recording when we did that, I couldn't remember what happened before we were recording. And oh well, this, go ahead, go ahead anyway. It's good in for reading. Seventy in verse thirty-seven. They came in at seventy back in the day, and now they're leaving with six hundred thousand men, plus women and children. And in 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. So they probably got 2 million people starting to roll here. Yeah, it's there's a, a lot. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's just a, it's just a, wow. And in 39, it kind of struck me. It said, uh, they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor they had they prepared any provisions for themselves, which tells me that they were part of them that didn't really believe they were going. They had 14 days mm -hmm. to get rid of the Passover, and all of a sudden, they're thrust out, and all of a sudden, they're like, whoa, 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 we didn't get anything. We didn't get any food ready. We didn't get any... It's like, you guys had 14 days. I mean, it's in again, again, and again, and again. Right. You look at the Israelites and say, oh, you guys just didn't believe. But I think it's when we put a finer point on it and look at ourselves more as in a mirror, it's like, wow, okay, so what parts, what things has God promised for me? For us that I am really not prepared for because I didn't really believe it was going to happen. No, when Pharaoh does let him go, there was a verse there or a part of that when he lets him go in verse 32, chapter 12, when he says, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have. Also take your flocks. But um, he ends by saying, and bless me also. That was interesting because he's yeah. been he's been so adamantly against all of this for so long. It, it, I guess he finally just got struck with what was with the depth of what's happening, you know, and maybe he's finally been brought down to a point of humility that he never had before, never had a reason to have before. You know, I think he, he, you just can't he can't look past that. You know, no longer was it just, I don't, just isn't probably isn't the best word to use, but it wasn't just a plague where, you know, it resolved. Now every single household was touched. His household was touched. He was, he was humbled to the point of just being a regular person. Yeah, good point. He didn't, he didn't escape any of the calamities because he was Pharaoh. It affected him too. And I think that was yeah, the... Yeah real part to it and it's like you know what you, you've done all this damage to me at this point 
why don't you bless me on your way out? So maybe they'll stop and, you know, get back to some kind of, you know, previous glory that they may have had. Because I think at this point he broke the Egyptians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was no doubt. There couldn't have been any doubt in that whole land who who was in charge at this point. Um, let's see. We've talked plenty about the Passover regulations here. So I think uh, chapter 13, we get some interesting stuff where God claims then this is they've, they've all they've left at this point. And God claims that all the firstborn are going to be his. They're going to belong to him. And the implication is there that that they should be a sacrifice to yeah. God. And when he says all firstborn, he's not talking just the animals. He's talking, uh, it seems, firstborn sons. There it was says a verse, man and beast. Yep. Mm-hmm. That they should be, sac- that's the implication, they should be sacrificed to God. Well, I don't know about sacrifice, but they are, they are pre-redeemed. And I think this only makes sense in light of the Passover itself, where all the males and firstborn, I'm assuming it was firstborn males, not just females, mm-hmm. although, that, although that's not super clear to me, is that they were all going to be dead. All of them, straight across the board. All of the, all of the firstborn were going to be dead. And so God says, you know what? I didn't take your firstborn. I redeemed them, and mm-hmm. therefore, they're mine. They're mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. And well, his that idea of redeeming isn't you sacrifice. Is It's like you need to remember that if it weren't for me, you'd be dead. Yep. Well, that is what ends up becoming of the firstborn males with um, – in regard to this, is that the, that they can be redeemed? Because that comes up later. And yes, it was the firstborn males because in chapter, or I'm sorry, verse twelve, uh, specifically says the males shall be the lords of every firstborn, every you know, that comes, you know, that comes from an animal, um, or you know, the males shall be the lords. But then they're given the opportunity with the firstborn human boys then that they can redeem that that boy with a lamb it says yeah even the donkeys the firstborn of a donkey you can redeem with a lamb yeah the donkeys that was interesting why why specifically the donkeys but if you don't redeem the donkey with a lamb you're supposed to break its neck yep so that's why i say that's why i say that when when they're supposed to be gods i mean every firstborn creature critter kid whatever the the implication there is that they are supposed to be a sacrifice but with the caveat that you can redeem them mm-hmm. the the boys and for whatever reason the donkeys um with a lamb and you sacrifice the lamb in the play in the place of it and i think this is where we get dedication that comes from is that mm. jesus is dedicated um in the <laughs> temple but there was provision made. It's like, look, if you can't afford a lamb, you can bring some doves. doves. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can do this other stuff. And so when you think about that, it's really interesting that the son of God needed to be redeemed. To your point, Tracy, of a God of order, the son of God actually was redeemed by 
doves, which, I mean, that's just doesn't make any sense. It's like I bought a million dollar estate with the 10 cents in my kid's piggy bank because that's mm-hmm. how it works. It's just like, wait a minute, that doesn't actually work mathematically. But the symbolism of how this was supposed to happen was more important than the economy of what happened. Right. To get it people to get yeah. it straight in people's head that's like, and you are gods. You are gods, and if you're not, then you essentially would be dead. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think it goes yeah. back to everything being having to be bought with a price. Now we the price doesn't equate like you're saying, you know, a a lamb, a dove, but it's all brought with some kind of sacrifice and a price. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's blood. Everything of everything yes. is, is just blood. It's not a. It's ten dollars, mm-hmm. you know, or it's an ounce of silver. It's it, it it is. That's a good point, Tracy. Is that it's it it always involves the sacrifice of blood, which yeah. is a thing for us to think about in in this society. But we've become so removed from it that we don't think of it. Like right now, um, oh my wife's knows somebody who uh, out in Nebraska has got a bunch of livestock that's going to have to be basically euthanized because there are no meat processing plants that can take their livestock. And so there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, if you drive out here with a refrigerated truck, you could just have some livestock. It's better to put it to use than to just, you know, have it rot in a field. And there are some people like, yeah, we'll go. And then there's other people who are like, no, there's no way I am going to take the life of another animal so that I can to partake of it and benefit from it. That's just too gross. I want to see it in a package done for me. I don't want to get my hands dirty. And I think that there's, there's an element of this Passover lamb, like we've talked about that requires you to get your hands dirty to say, yeah, this like yours. And I've been playing it forward. The symbolicness of sin is like, and your sin takes the life of this lamb and it is costly, and it is messy, and it is difficult, and it is uncomfortable, and you really should think about it before you just launch off and go, I can do whatever I want to. It's like, wait a minute. The things that I do have impact, and they have cost, and it costs blood, and this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, that life you know, that was supposed that to be taken was yours. That drives it home, though. I think the consequence and be, seeing the the death part and the the kind of the almost the guilt associated with taking a, a life and the lifeblood and that kind of stuff. Where I think you know, at some point, when you don't have that sense of cost and what it what the ramifications of sin are you become almost a little bit jaded towards it or desensitized to it where it no longer means something to you. But when you get your hands dirty and you, you know, and I hate to be super graphic, but you know, when you feel the pain and and you hear the squeal and you take the life and you see the blood and you literally like your hands are getting dirty with it, you have that sense of loss and you know exactly what the cost of your sins are. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's it's powerful. And I think that you know, there's there's that sin thing, but it's a principle. It's a principle in our lives. If we don't understand the cost, we get careless. 
Yes. And I'll use one that maybe we can understand. It's the difference between credit cards and cash. I've taken and helped teach the Dave Ramsey workshop. And one of the things that they teach to, to get spending under control is like you have an envelope with cash. And when you buy it, you count out the money and you give it to them and you see it leave your hand and go into their hand. And it causes you emotional pain to see that happening. Whereas if you just swipe it on a credit card and you never see it and it's not real and it's like, yeah, that's just something that'll get paid later. It doesn't matter. The emotional attachment and the the impact to our feelings have a direct connection to our behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we lose that with our money, boom, it has it. I mean, it's it's a thing we can see. And when it happens with sin and we become detached from it, and we forget that this costs the blood of Jesus, we're like, meh, it's okay, I just put it on the credit card, and we don't really think about what that means. It is powerful. Well, all of this, the whole Passover and all that, God tells them here that they need to, they're supposed to do this every year, that this is supposed to be a, a, a constant reminder forever of what happened, that they were pulled out of Egypt. Yeah. Um, and I think probably this whole redemption situation is is wrapped up with that, too, just that that this is a constant reminder. And he uses some very interesting wording here to talk about this. Um, verse nine, he says, this yep. is going to be a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's yep. law may be in your mouth. And he uses that again in verse 16, a sign on your hand and his frontlets between your eyes. And we know that we're going to hear a similar thing later when we talk about um, the mark of the beast. And now that's going to be a sign on your hand or on your forehead. So like you said earlier, Eric, there's two signs. You're either going to have the sign of God or you're going to have the sign of the beast. Yep. That's Revelation 7.3, by the way. Yeah, thank you. And it was very interesting to me in verse 9 how it ends up that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. It seems like the law and the sign are intertwined. If you're yep. going to have the the sign of God, that you are going to have to be in tune with God's law. And, and at this point, we're not even talking about the Ten Commandments. We're just right. talking about there is a general... Like you've said many times, Eric, that this exists, even though they may have not had it in writing. Mm-hmm. These things exist. There is uh, certain things that just it's the way the universe works. Yeah. You know? it's to to mankind. You know, and I think, too, was that mean that symbolism is of the hand between your eyes on your this is say your forehead. Um and through your mouth, it's everything you do. It's what you do with your hands. It's what yes. you think and what you profess. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, it, and it's it's interesting because I had a note here. Not only in Revelation 7, 3, there's the sign of God's sign and the beast sign. But it comes up in Matthew 23, 5, where Jesus is calling them out and saying, because by then, they had used these things either called phylacteries or uh, tefillin. Mm-hmm where they would have a little teeny tiny copy of the law written on a little teeny tiny scroll, put in a little leather box, and they would wear it in the middle of their forehead, and they would have one on the back of their hand, and they had a special way that they were going to do it, loop it around a particular finger, and they would wear it on the... And Jesus is calling them out. He's like, look, you have your phylacteries wide, like so everybody can see it. Like, you have the law, 
between your eyes in some literal way. And you have long fringes, and we'll get to that later, what that is. Um, the, but he's like, but you don't have it in your heart. You're, like, you're wearing it on the outside, and that doesn't count. Jesus calls him out. He's like, no, no, no. You know, just saying the words and having it on your on your head and and just like that's not what I'm talking about. It's like it has to be in your heart and right. evidenced by what you say and do. You're taking it too literal and you haven't you haven't accepted it within your heart. Hundred percent. I mean, that's not me. That's not my interpretation. I mean, Jesus just flat out says it there in Matthew twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it you know, kind of reminds me later on when Jesus talks about divorce and he's like, well, I allowed it, you know, Moses allowed it because your hearts were hard or something like that, but it shouldn't have been that way. It shouldn't have been that way. You know, it's like, you should, you should already have an innate, if things were the way they're supposed to be, there should just, there should be an innate understanding. You know, you shouldn't even have to put it into words. You should just, you should get it, you know? But they don't. They didn't. We don't. <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> well, so, okay. There, here's, here's, as I noticed for the first time, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in, in 1321 is where the um, the Lord, and that's Yahweh, personal, personal name, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first time we see this supernatural thing show up that follows them now for the next 40 years, I believe. Seems like it. And what's really cool is I think it's, boy, I wish I would look this up ahead of time. I think it's in the book of James where he says Jesus, who led them out of Egypt, who was the pillar of cloud and fire. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is personal name, Yahweh, and this is later in the New Testament attributed to be Jesus. You know, which I I think is really, to me, that's awesome. That really brings it personal in it's, it's almost to the point where you, they can see him, they know his presence there, but what still blows me away and I'm I'm jumping way ahead is that there can still be problems. With God that close, there can Mm -hmm. be rebellion, there can still be unbelief there still can be discontent and he's right there in plain sight yeah. yeah you know i was thinking when you know when we were talking about pharaoh ignoring all those all those plagues and everything and it was always in my head i always go how could he how could he ignore that how could he disregard that so easily but like you're saying tracy these people have a physical representation of god right with them every day and every night and they still, they still don't get it. They still, they still don't follow the commands. They still don't, uh, they still don't accept that they're in a better place than they were when they left. You know, and this is a this is a long journey um, it, for them. You know, as a passage of time, this is forty years in the desert that they're wandering around, learning these lessons. When, when. When I looked and looked it up, it was an eleven day journey. That's all it would take, eleven days. But yet yeah. they were wandering for forty years out there. And how do you wander with one point two million people or almost <laughs> two million? Yeah. I think I remember when, when Jacob was coming to Ramses, the to the city of Ramses, I think I remember saying it I had figured out that was like roughly hundred and fifty miles. So 
not, you know, I don't know how far a person's going to walk in a day, but I mean, it's not that hard to go 20 miles probably in a day if you're, well, you got kids and stuff, but, but yeah, it shouldn't have taken them anywhere near 40 years to do that. Yeah, less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. So here they are. They're in 14. They are up against the, uh, they're, they're out. And God told them specifically where to go, which is interesting that they're in a, um, they're kind of put in a way where they don't have any other options. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh is now, he's changed his mind. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, there goes our whole slave labor force, and now we're going to have to do our own work. I don't like that. And so whatever his motivations were, he changed his mind and gets everything ready to go. Israel is put in a specific place because God told him exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. And they are literally between a rock um, and a hard place, the ocean. Mm-hmm. Sea, anyways. Right. Can I get a little controversial here for a second? That the Red Sea, did they, where did they, well, okay, traditionally speaking, what body of water did they cross? Well, in the the stuff that I looked up, it looks like it's way up north on the edge of the uh, Red Sea. Mm -hmm. And it's not the middle of the Red Sea. It's, uh, It's way up by what I guess would be just south of the, uh, Suez Canal now, mm-hmm. um, and so I'd have to look at this. So it wasn't like it was a hundred miles across this, right? Um, but it was far enough that um, I mean, this. I've got a cool app on my phone. It's called um, well, it's just called Bible Map. Yep, that's where I just met. So tell them about it, Tracy. You know, it's to me when you first showed me. God, this has been months ago, uh, maybe even longer. But he was like, you know what? It's you never get the quite quite the the gist of of how far this was when Jesus traveled or Jesus walked. And this has been awesome because you can actually see it. It kind of breaks it down where he went, how far it was, how long it would take, that kind of thing. So this is a great app that if anybody doesn't have it, you definitely want to check it out. Okay, so what it does for people who don't have it is is it's the Bible, um, and I don't know what version it is, um, but it's maybe NIV or something like that. I don't know. And you can read it, and in any time it lists a geographical location, it's in red in the text, and you can push on it, and the top half is like Google Maps, and the bottom half is the Bible, and it'll show you exactly where this place is. And then you can click on the pin, and it'll with a little information. It'll tell you. It'll often show you a picture, and uh, tell you where it is and its you know, historical significance, and where it is modern. And so it really, really helps me. To so to your question, Matt, the Red Sea has at the very, very top almost kind of like a little peace sign, a rabbit ears, like two little fingers. And the mm-hmm. location of these things is way, 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 way up in the in the westernmost top of those fingers in the very very tip okay is where the locations of these things are well where i'm coming at from this is i've seen a lot of documentaries where the scientists archaeologists involved they contend that this was not the red sea but the reed sea and so i was looking in my concordance at that and looking up where it says red sea 
And that word that has been translated red is actually read, according to the Strong's Concordance. And when you look, look at uh, even the New Testament, when you look at Red Sea, it's mentioned twice. They just call it the sea. So it's not even specifically, when, with, if, you, if you take the words red and sea in the New Testament in the Greek, both of those words take you to the same entry in the concordance, which translates just to the sea. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting to me, but I, 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 I like to find where the truth really lies. Are we being, are we being steeped in tradition or are we looking at, at something that has been historically inaccurate because of a mistranslation? Uh, I don't know that it matters that much, but a lot of the imagery we get is of this gigantic body of water that the people crossed. And we know it was significant because we're told that the horses and the chariots and all the soldiers got covered up and killed in the, it, when, the, when the water came back. Um, but I don't know. I, it's like I think of uh, like the Prince of Egypt when you see they're showing whales swimming in the water next to them. You know, it's like, no, guys, this isn't even this is there Are wouldn't be whales in the Red Hollywood sea. has exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and, and I'm not trying to diminish that this was an amazing thing. Not at all. I mean, this was an absolutely amazing um, point of history in the Bible. But it's probably not what we've envisioned all of our lives. You know what? I think we have to also look at, at the um, different climate changes and the environmental changes. Cause yeah. if you go to that app and you click on it, and I don't know if you've done this yet, Eric, but you click on the red sea. It yeah. also like goes and mentions what's called the Egyptian tongue that was running right through there. That's pretty much dried up at this point. It, it doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, based on that and, you know, how it was and how they dwelled with water and how it was a great delta in there, yeah. you know, it could have been bigger than what we're anticipating. You oh. know, it could be much larger at this point where we're only seeing, you know, the remnants of what's left or if it's gone at this point. But 100%. By no means, I don't think it was, once again, it was another wonder. And I don't think it could be be overlooked now there may not have been whales there but <laughs> it was enough, you know when you really look at it there's 600 chariots coming after you which is a pretty large formation and, it, well, and those are the only those are the choice ones those were the only ones that were mentioned then there was all the other quote regular ones <laughs> I, you know yeah. so it was enough that the whole army had to get you know knee deep out there into the water and they were all submerged and all taken yeah and that's the point is that Wherever this was and however this was, number one, the Israelites couldn't escape. Mm -hmm. However it was, they could not get away. It's not like they could have waded through something to get away. They were, they were stopped. And yeah. the Egyptians after this were killed when the water came back together. And it's, it does say that the water was piled up like a wall on either side of them. Now, did they see it? Could they stick their hand in it? Was it, a, was it pushed back miles? I, it doesn't actually say any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so Hollywood interprets this. And to your point, Tracy, yes. I mean, it could have changed dramatically over time. I mean, I remember canoeing in Minnesota with some friends. We looked at the map. We're like, sweet, let's take this lake right here. And it's a, it's a, it's a narrow lake over to the other lake. And we'll paddle. We won't carry our boats. 
Well, guess what? That lake was 100% gone when we got there, and we ended up carrying our canoes oh, about mm. a mile and a half. And uh, so the point is, they were in a tough spot. They couldn't, they couldn't get away. And this, in 1412, I mean, even with the evidence of God being right there, they had seen all these ten plagues, and they've got the pillar of cloud or fire, whether it's day or night. And in verse 12, is this not what we said in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And here's a super cool quote if you're into writing down Bible quotes. Mm -hmm. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which again echoes Revelation straight up. I mean, we just see these same words, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Yeah, I had that in my notes, too. That is an amazing, amazing quote. And I I like it's easy to see and say it because we know how it turned out. But, man, when it's in my life, um, it is it is that's when it's real. And it's, it's like, okay. It's easier to have doubt than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I like the way God responds, too. He says, uh, says to Moses, says, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. That struck me, too. It's like, like <laughs> what? They were supposed to just go <laughs> <Where> was... <laughs> forward into the sea? <laughs> just go, go where it looks like it's going to be impossible to go. Yeah. Don't worry about the water. Just go. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Oh, man. Like, wow, that's, I mean, <laughs> pretty... when God says to do it, it's, it's he's going to make a way. It's, yeah, wow. Right, yep. And so then we get that classic picture of, we do, you know, Moses holding his staff up over the water and it parts and they all cross. They get to the other side and he does it again and it closes in over, over the Egyptians. And boy, the Egyptians did not have a good time of it. You would think this is like the crack team of the Egyptians. This is like yep. the Egyptian Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers or yep. I don't know if we have any military people listening. Well, Tracy, you're military. <laughs> Who's better, the SEALs or the Rangers? Oh, don't say that. I, I can wait in those deep waters. <laughs> <laughs> the Marines. The, the, the <laughs> but at any rate, these guys are, you know, yeah. these are the these are the, supposed to be the best of the best and the wheels start falling off their chariots. They can't, they cannot follow. I mean, they're trying and they can't follow. They can't get to this huge group of people. That's got to be encumbered by animals and kids and, 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 and elderly people. You know, it's not like they can move quickly, but these right. guys on chariots can't catch up to them. I you know, bet I you this is Go ahead, Tracy. Oh, you know, I think it's one thing that we need to keep in mind too. This is what separated Egypt from the rest of the world. This was one of those landmark kind of things that separated them. Before then, war was just kind of fought on foot. Chariots are what what basically helped them conquer all their enemies. It wasn't something that was done regularly. And they were the, the forefront of chariot warfare. And this is this is, you know, big stuff for them. These are their their pride and joy of of chariots and chariot warfare to go after them like this and yeah. to be defeated like that was demoralizing for them. And and big, 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 big deal because these were not just. I mean, we picture the chariots of of um, 
like uh, it holds one person, you know, and they're kind of racing around like Ben Hur style. But from what I understand of of these chariots, and I don't know if the Egyptians use these style or not, but at some point chariots actually had giant knives coming out from their axles. Mm-hmm. It'd be these spinning blades, and so you just run. But it's basically just a giant lawnmower, mm. and they would just run into these people who would be easy peasy. I mean, this was just like ducks in a barrel kind of a thing. And the Egyptians were headed forward on this. And I suppose this is where the uh, saying came from. And then the wheels fell off. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to your point, Tracy, not only was this demoralizing to the Egyptians, but we skip ahead in, in chapter 15, the song of Moses in 1515, it says, and now, are the chiefs of Edom dismayed? Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. The news traveled fast, and they heard about this, and they're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. if they took down the number one army mm-hmm. in, in the world with the best technology, we are in a bad way. This, is, this could go very badly for us because they're headed our way, and Egypt's wheels fell off. Like, what have we got? Yeah, and then, uh, see, 14 finishes off with, uh, I thought that was another great verse. Verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So it took a lot, but, I, you know, don't know how you don't believe after crossing through the this huge body of water and seeing all these things and the whole Egyptian army defeated and you never had to lift a finger. So then we finish off with the with the song of Moses, and there's there's a lot of things there. Um, I think the the verse there was a verse that stuck out to me particularly was verse eleven says, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders?" Mm-hmm. And uh, verse sixteen also was standing out to me. Let me read that. Um, Oh, it talks about passing over the people whom you have purchased. We talked about that already, though. But uh, that idea that they had been purchased, that they had been, um, you know, God had laid down a price for them. Do you guys yeah. have any other uh, thoughts on the Song of Moses? Something that stood out? Nothing that's deep, but I wondered, it's like, yeah. did Moses write this ahead of time? Was this something he just sat down and he just, like, pulled out his guitar and, like, put this together? Or, like, it, Improv campfire improv. song. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. And same with Miriam. Miriam has this song that she sings. But again, this, is a re- this just did struck me till just now, um, is that this goes to Revelation also. Is that immediately there is a song of the redeemed. It's like this spontaneous mm-hmm. thing. And that's always kind of made me wonder. Same thing in Revelation. It's like, how do they know this song? Like all of a sudden they all burst out into singing this song that's never been done before. And yet they all know it. I don't yeah. know. I wonder if it's, if it's, you know, in the moment that, you know, it's a great victory. And to me, every time I, you know, see this and, and look at that and hear about songs, I, you know, I just want to say it's that part of being overjoyed and victorious and, you know, at that point where you're just all in. But then, yeah. you know, just like we had talked about before, it's fleeting, you know, and I think 
That being said, it's just a point where us as Christians, it can't be fleeting. It has to be heartfelt and in for the long haul for all the plagues, you know, yeah. um, to get to that victory. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's a good lead into just how 15 ends, which is uh, yeah. sad. <laughs> mm. Um, verse 26, well, I have verse 26 put here. Yep. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And 25 is that he tested them. And mm. that's what happens with the water of Mara. To your point, Tracy, about staying focused on this, I mean, they just had this. They just sang the song. And then it gets rough again, and then they're like, oh, yeah, God's abandoned us. Yeah, yep. already complaining. Yeah. It's, and it's easy. I mean, I can, man, I can relate to them, but I need to, to, to be reminded that God really is there, and he really does care, and even when it does look like it's thin or, you know, the back's up against the, the, the ocean, whatever my challenge is, is that he's still there, and God does test us. I mean, I don't. I don't love that concept, but he does test us. So there's one point, and there's the other point that I actually put down here as the last question. So what does this mean? Does this mean that if we follow God's commands, we'll never get sick? Mm. Is that what it's saying? Clearly not. Or, you know, it's either a lie or it's, uh, which I don't believe, or um, there's a deeper meaning. Was this specific maybe to some of the sicknesses of the Egyptians that they had? Because, I mean, we talk about their life expectancy, which was pretty dim. You know, yes. somebody hitting their 40s was old. Old. Mm-hmm. But you have somebody just, you know, in Goshen that could live to 130. Yes. So, you know, that had to be revered in itself, like we were saying before. Yeah. And I wonder that, it's like, again, this isn't God saying, oh, by the way, here's something brand new that I never, never told you before. Is maybe this is more of a reminder. It's like, hey, you guys, don't go back and do the stuff that the Egyptians did. Because you will end up with the same problems they had. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Yeah, right. You know, but I, I wonder if too, and I'm, I'm jumping way ahead, but you know, just by that being said, I wonder if it's you know following those those dietary laws and that kind of thing that were given. You know, it, when we go to Leviticus and and we see those, because if you look at society as far as Egypt goes, they were. There's history that shows that they could have gout. They had, you know, um, coronary artery disease because of the stuff they ate. Oh, yeah, they had trichinosis big time. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's. I think that's part of it, too, is, you know, not so much disease in in its, you know, completeness. I think it's, you know what, be mindful of what you just came out of. You know, yeah. you can be spared some, some of those calamities as far as health goes if you – you know, heed my warning and and follow what I'm telling you, um, and not get and not try to replicate something that you just came out of. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yep, huge lesson there. Well, I think that's going to cover that little bit of that uh, exodus that uh, being brought out of Egypt. So uh, we're going to close it for this week. Now, next week we're going to. Uh, try to get up into chapter 20, which is going to bring us into the Ten Commandments. We're going to dip our toes there. 
I'm going to say right now, we're probably not going to be done talking about the Ten Commandments next week because it's a huge, it's just, a, it's just a big subject. And there's so much, even of our modern based society, that, that wraps around those Ten Commandments. So, oh, uh, but there's going to be there's going to be some inter- other interesting things to talk about next week too. We're going to talk about manna. We're going to talk about um, uh, what else was there? Oh, pulling water out of a rock. Some good advice from Jethro. So it's going to be an interesting discussion next week. So uh, to prepare, read up through uh, chapter uh, 16 through 20 in Exodus. Uh, in the meantime, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. That you've gotten something from it. Remember to share this with your friends and family co-workers, everybody you come in contact with, help us to get this word out to the people uh, of the world. You can reach us on Podcast at theadventure.org. You can find us at Facebook. Just search for Adventure Through the Bible. And uh, be sure to subscribe to us since you get this in your feed each and every week. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again next week. God bless. God bless.